Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the WMA podcast. My name is Jeff Nugent, and today we have joining us is Matt Mondu. Matt joined Blue Chip Partners in 2016. Before joining this role, he has worked in a variety of financial analyst roles. He acquired his bachelor's degree in finance from Michigan State and also holds his CFA, CMT, and CFP certifications. So welcome, Matt, and thank you for being on the podcast. Hey, thanks for having me, and I go green. Go white. So uh, without further ado, Matt, you just want to just tell us a little bit about yourself and your journey into being a financial advisor? Yeah, uh, happy to. So, you know, I, I say this kind of started, or the seeds were laid back in elementary school. Um, I remember it was the height of the tech bubble. I didn't know this at the time, but it was the height of the tech bubble, and we played a stock picking game. In, in class. And I remember, you know, back in the day, you used to have to open up the newspaper, uh, find the ticker, look at a price with a fraction, it wasn't even decimals, and, you know, log your price and, and go into class and, and have, you know, the, the price updates on your stocks. And I remember this experience, you know, like, it wasn't a matter of if you were up, but it was how much you were up. Yeah. And it, it became like really tough to compete. You know, I would be looking at businesses that were geographically important to us, like GM, um, and they're just getting trounced by Intel's of the world. And um, yeah, so so I remember that. And I remember, you know, my teacher kind of explaining compounding and how at the current growth rates, um, you know, markets were going to double. And it just seemed like everybody's gonna be a millionaire. And I, I remember talking to my dad, I'm like, hey, dad, you know, if you just do this, you know, my sister and I will be having a million dollars by the time we're 18. He's yeah. like, that's not how any of this works. And subsequently the market crashed, but you know, yeah. my, my, my enjoyment of stocks never did. And that kind of stuck with me um, all the way to college, you know, got a finance major um, started. I thought I started wanting to be more on the investment management side. Um, and it was through a couple different role changes that I realized I really do like talking to people, working with people. And that's where I eventually gravitated towards. Okay. Yeah, that's perfect. What are um, like some advice to students that you would give that, you know, want to be aspiring financial professionals? Yeah. Um, so I, I think, you know, number one is, you know, think strongly about credentialing after college. I think, you know, obviously, um, you know, having a, a background in finance or accounting is really helpful. Um, but doing the extra bit of work, you know, the CFP designation, the CFA designation, I mean, for even people who could do the CPA, um, all these arrows that you can have in your quiver uh, really make you well-rounded. And what you'll find is, you know, as you transition to being an advisor, you know, what ends up happening is you're also like part psychologist too. So there's going to be, you know, the application of all the knowledge that you accumulate. You know, I think you really need to um, be, have a lot of, have empathy and be able to apply what you learn in the academic setting into real world settings and, and understand behavior, you know, of your clients, every client's different and, and people are different. Yeah, exactly. Many clients, you know, have all different needs and wants. So how do you deal with, you know, retaining your client throughout the years and just making them happy? Yeah. So, so we have, you know, a structure at Blue Chip um, that really puts a high degree of emphasis on, um, touch points. You know, what, what we don't want to be is we don't want to be the type of advisors. And I would you know say most people should not be the type of advisors that your client reaches out to you and that prompts you to take action. 
Yeah. So much um, can be done just with proactive outreach. So we try to structure a system with clients that that's a meeting frequency that's tailored to them. Right now, if we had one client, they wouldn't want us reaching on every day. So yeah. we work with you know clients, to, but, but once a year might not be enough either. So we work with clients to figure out what's the appropriate meeting cadence, cadence um, and that will be, let's call it for an official review. And what we like to do is we also like to just have general check-in calls, you know, so we can say, hey, um, Jeff, checking in with you, nothing urgent on my end, but just want to see if there's anything we could be doing to help. And a lot of times that person may have something top of mind or they say, hey, you know what? Nope, uh, we'll circle back for the next meeting in three months. Yeah. So I think being as proactive as possible uh, really sets up advisors to retain clients. For sure. I mean, I feel like being proactive is the number one key to, you know, retaining clients and, you know, keeping up with them. So do you meet with them around one to two times a year? Yeah, it depends. You know, you'll find that when a client's working, uh, maybe they're five, 10 years away from retirement, they're busy, they might have kids stuff going on, yeah. um, meeting once a year, or twice a year is totally sufficient. But then as the, in that year, 12 months, 18 months before retirement, I mean, God, it could be three, six meetings, you're reviewing financial plans, really trying to solidify that transition point from retirement or from um, employment to retirement. And that could take a lot of meetings. Um, ultimately, you know, we want the client to be super comfortable. It's a big life decision for them. You know, I always say we see 15, 20 retirements a year. The client knows one in their lifetime. So we want to apply all the knowledge that we have of what is a successful retirement gathered across, you know, a book of clients and, and be able to explain to that person what works, but also, you know, make them feel confident in, in the decision that they're making. And, and that can require more than a few meetings. Yeah, for sure. And speaking about clients and, you know, having different meetings, do you get referred uh, different clients or do you, are you actively searching for different clients? So it's a little of both. I mean, there's a, there, there's really, you know, both things happen, um, you know, and, and as you're in the business longer, you know, more referrals will take place. Um, but yeah, it, it can also happen the other way where, you know, somebody may mention a name and you say, hey, is that person approachable? And if they're willing to do an, an email intro, you know, which is kind of a quasi referral, but also, you know, you're, you're probing for the referral a little bit, that can be a good way to get introductions as well. Yeah, for sure. And um, you talked a little bit about, you know, different designations. How do you, how did you, you know, study for the CFP exams? I know it's a big, you know, it's a big task that, you know, most financial advisors take on. So I just want to hear your thoughts on how you prep for it and, you know, your thoughts on the exam. Yeah. So, so being an advisor at Blue Chip, you know, having a CFP is as a must. Um, it's, it's pretty much a requirement here. So, you know, I, I was pretty fortunate, I, fortunate or unfortunate, depending how you want to view this. Uh, so I had my CFA first. So I essentially got to pass the curriculum yeah. um, and just do the capstone course for the CFP. Uh, so, so I, 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 you know, leapfrogged a lot of the curriculum. I, and in hindsight, I wish I would have done the curriculum. You know, yeah. I felt like I studied to pass a test and didn't really necessarily study to have to learn all the material, yeah. um, which, you know, is fine. You know, I, I get applied plenty of the material throughout my day, but I, you know, associate advisors at Blue Chip, I see studying, they go through the curriculum. They're, they're pretty regimented about it. Um, I see even on their calendars, they block off, okay, book one, you know, book two, depending on how, how quickly they want to get through the material. But what I would say for me, the most important thing, um, they do offer a couple of crash courses towards the end where maybe you have one to three days of, you know, a summary course. Those I think are really helpful. And yeah. the way I work, do as many questions as possible. So whether I did the CFA 
the CMT or the CFP, the, the primary source that I reinforced the information I learned wasn't through note-taking. It was through questions and doing as many questions as humanly possible. Yeah. And did you wait a little bit to take the CFP after college or did you just go right into it? So that was actually the last designation I got. So I, I did, I thought, you know, if you would have asked me when I graduated, I would have thought I'd be more of an investment analyst. And that was the role I started out in um, initially out of college. Yeah. And then I transitioned to, I did some business valuation work and, you know, Dan and Robert, the you know, the, the two managing partners at Blue Chip, they reached out and I got connected with them. And I said, wow, if I'm not going to be a financial advisor. Here's where I'm going to do it. Yeah. And once I joined Blue Chip is when I got the CFP, but I'd already had the CFA and CMT. Yeah. So you already had a little bit of background, you know, with the CFA and the CMT. And would you recommend, you know, going that route, doing the CFA first over the CFP or? So the way I approached it, you know, I graduated uh, during the depths of the financial crisis. Literally, um, I did an extra semester at MSU, graduated in December of 09. So as you can imagine, there's very few jobs, finance jobs. Uh, out there to be had. I was really fortunate to get on my time was my dream job. But in the back of my mind, I, I always kind of had this insecurity, like, was the economy really that good? And is this business going to make it? So my approach was do the hardest thing I can do, which was at the time was the CFA. So I'm the most desirable to employers just recognizing where the economy was at that time. And, and you know, my goal of you know, keeping a job. So that was my main motivation was CFA. I felt like this was the hardest thing I could do. This would elevate me. This would get on my resume. Um, and that's why I did it. And that's why I did it. I, I did the CMT first and then I did the CFA, but yeah. that was my rationale. And, and I would highly recommend it because, um, you know, we, we all know the pass rates. We know how difficult it is to obtain. And I do think it says a lot about people's work ethic. And it's something that, you know, at Blue Chip, if we saw on a resume, you know, we would like in addition to the CFP and these other designations. But yeah, if people have the time and the interest, I would definitely do it while while time exists. Yeah. So you'd say, you know, more designations is definitely, you know, the way to go. Yeah, it can't hurt. Yeah, it's particularly when you're a young advisor, right? Like, you know, until we get some gray hair, you know, you want to prove yourself other ways. Yeah. And I right. think designations are one way to prove, you know, you know, you know what you're talking about. You work hard um, in your discipline. And yeah, I think I think it helps. I mean, I really do think particularly early on in your career. Yeah, for sure. And what made what made Blue Chip, you know, stick out, you know, over other firms? Because I know a lot of there's, you know, tons of different firms. But what made Blue Chip, you know, the place for you? Yeah. So uh, the one thing that really stuck out in my mind when I met Dan and Robert, um, and just give you some background, the first shop I worked at, we managed ETF portfolios. Uh, when I joined Blue Chip, we managed an individual stock portfolio. So for somebody who I really do enjoy the investment side of financial planning, financial management, um, that was a nice add-on for me because there was, enough, there was more meat on the bone as opposed to just setting a strategic allocation and kind of forgetting it or rebalancing quarterly. Yeah. Um, there's a little bit more from like an investment committee standpoint. And that was really, I think, what what was a big attraction to Blue Chip. And um, one of the things that, you know, not not to mention, you know, they're, they're great people here. The team was great. They were growing. So it kind of checked all these major boxes. But I just remember if I look back on it, the individual stock portfolio felt exciting to me and was one of the things that really said, if I'm going to do this, this is a great place to, to be an advisor. Yeah, for sure. And how do you, um, you know, 
deal with all your different client investments? Do you, you know, more go into ETFs, different individual stocks? How do you guys do that? Yeah, so we do individual stocks. We manage a portfolio of anywhere between 25 and 35 companies. Most of them, not all, are dividend paying, dividend growing companies. Um, and that effectively allows us to manage client portfolios on a weekly basis. We meet as on a weekly basis as an investment committee. If we decide that we want to sell Coca-Cola and buy Pepsi, if there was no tax considerations, we could do that for every client at the same time on the same day. Now, that's a perfect world. Obviously, if we have a, you know, a large unrealized gain in Coca-Cola, we might not sell to swap to Pepsi. But if everything was at an IRA, let's say we could do the trade all at the same time on the same day. And like I said, at the end of the day, that effectively allows us to review everybody's portfolio near, nearly on a weekly basis. Now, that's the stock side, right? Everybody has different risk parameters. So yeah. some some clients will naturally have more bonds than others. But generally speaking, you know, that's what we're spending a lot of time reviewing. Yeah. And do you do you let every client know, you know, their different risk parameters and, you know, what different options or different trades you're going to make throughout the the year so we will give clients uh some trade rationale after the fact we also will post investment reviews on the website so there'll be like a nice powerpoint presentation with some audio describing the trade what we saw in the company um that that prompted us to make the switch or add it to the portfolio so yeah. we do like to do that now, the other thing every time a company raises its dividend throughout the year an email goes out to the clients that hold that company so they say oh i got a 7.2 percent raise because um, you know, uh, AbbVie raise their dividend. So they'll get to see these things. And I think uh, it creates um, a little more tangible feel with the portfolio than necessarily ETFs may. Not that ETFs are, you know, we like ETFs too, but but people can, uh, in periods where the markets are down 30%, they can drive by Home Depot and see there's cars in the parking lot and they hold Home Depot. It's, you know, not necessarily going under. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And, you know, staying on, you know, the blue chip topic, uh, what's like the day-to-day -day work and the work-life balance you have at blue chip? Yeah. So, you know, we at blue chip are, you know, experiencing tremendous growth. Um, so, you know, we're, we're busy, which is a good thing. You know, we're looking to fill the, there's very few periods of time where, you know, there's just really nothing going on. There's always somebody we can reach out to. Um, there's a meeting that can be had. You know, we uh, we meet as a team, you know, so we're checking in the advisory group checks in with one another uh, at least once a week for about an hour. We, we do that through a couple different types of meetings that have different focuses, but we're meeting regularly. Um, so, yeah, there's really no shortage. And, you know, one of the things I think most people should understand, you know, about being an advisor um, or hopefully accept about being an advisor is, you know, as you work with people, you're going to um, develop a natural affinity towards your clients when they email you at 830 at night, you know, you might check your email and you might say, hey, I, I really I want to respond to this person. They have a question. I want to get back to them. You know, I want to be so quick and I want them to know I'm thinking about them. So I think, you know, work life balance, I, I allow it for myself to be great a little bit. Um, you know, even on vacation, I probably would imagine myself checking emails. Yeah. And and I, I take that more as a pride thing. I don't view this as a uh, a, a downside. I, I don't view this as a bug of the job. I view it as a feature of the job. I think that anytime people trust you to be their financial advisor, um, communicating and in, in prompt response is um, one of the top things we should be looking to do. The advisor community should be looking to do. Yeah, for sure. I mean, definitely, you know, keeping in touch with your clients if you're on vacation and your advisor's texting you when he's on vacation, that's definitely a good sign. And 
I assume it doesn't go unnoticed. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, you know, it's, it's one of those things where, you know, the work-life balance, I think, you know, it, it can shift, but particularly early on, it's like, hey, you want to demonstrate, you know, what kind of person you are to that client. And, and one of the ways you can show them and not tell them is, is through prompt, thoughtful responses. Yeah. For and sure. you know what I'll even say, I'll even say, sometimes even if you don't have the answer, just saying, hey, email received, I'll get back to you tomorrow is a great response. Yeah, exactly. You know, clients, you know, are very worried about their money. I mean, it's their life savings. So they definitely want to know what's, you. they, they definitely want to stay in the loop. Yes, no yeah. doubt. So there's, you know, tons of good advisors today. What, what separates, you know, yourself from the rest? You know, I'll say, um, I'll put this as a credit to, to Blue Chip. You know, we operate often as a team, you know, advisory team on clients. Um, I think that particularly early on, you know, you want to have expertise. So, so Jeff, you know, offline, you told me that you're doing an accounting internship. That's the type of thing that you can add a tremendous amount of value to a client. Clients have tax questions. Um, if you can help answer that tax question when their CPA might be super busy because it's April 1st um, and tax, the tax deadline's two weeks away and you can answer a question, that is extraordinarily valuable. When you can communicate a Roth conversion strategy to a client, the tax that they'll owe, how tax brackets work, all those types of expertise um, separate you as an advisor. So I view that, you know, as, as really important. I think tax is a great avenue to do that. You can do that through investment expertise. You could do that through prompt communication, um, clear communication, being an educator to your client. All those things, I think, are ways to elevate the client experience. And um, so, yeah, so so there's a million different ways, not a million, maybe there's, there's a handful of different ways to do it. Um, and doing as many of those as you possibly can, I think, are, are all work. You know, it's like, be the advisor that you would want your parents to have, or you would want to have. Be yeah. that person constantly for your clients. Yeah, exactly. You got to be there for your clients. And do you enjoy working in a team? Because myself, I would love to, you know, work in a team. I wouldn't want to, you know, be solo. Yeah, it's it's great, you know, because what we don't do is we don't expect associate advisors to cold call at Blue Chip. You know, what we want them, we want them to learn the business the right way. We don't want them out, you know, we're, we're you know, our approach isn't to, you know, have somebody grab a phone and dial up and try to, you know, sell annuities. We we take a very different approach. So we take associates in meetings, they'll often and and um they'll take notes, we'll debrief, they might handle some handle some, some follow-up. Um, they could be building the chassis of a financial plan, but ultimately, you know, we want uh, associate advisors to grow into advisors and want them to be sponges, ask questions. Hey, senior, why did you make this recommendation? What was your thought process? Um, why didn't you say this? You know, the more questions, the more inquisitive the associate can be, I think the quicker they're going to learn. And that's kind of the environment that we want to foster here. So we have, you know, an open door policy. Um, anybody can ask a question um, and, and really just, continually try to put the client first yeah and do associate advisors how long are they going how long are they associates just until you know they get enough experience or how does yeah that generally it's you know let's say a couple of years and then also getting the cfp is a big milestone to move them to just the you know remove the associate title and just become an advisor so a couple things you know it, but but time and time and blue chip and you know ultimately passing the cfp are are necessary and at Blue Chip, do you guys have interns like, you know, look over the associates and the financial advisors? 
Yeah, yeah. So we've we've had interns um, from time to time uh, that will provide, you know, do a couple different functions. So they could, uh, you know, one intern is helped out with the investment department. Um, so we have an in-house investment department. We've had them help there. Um, and, and also others have, you know, been more client centered. So it all depends on what the interns focuses and what they're looking to do, but absolutely. Yeah. And do, do the interns like sit in on different client meetings just so they could, you know, get the real world experience of, you know, speaking and dealing with different client problems and issues. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So that, that's, that's, uh, that's one part of it for sure. Yeah. We, and we try to make it as, you know, as well-rounded as, as a program as possible. You know, it's one thing we could, you know, continually improve. But yeah, there's a variety of different things and, you know, whatever, whatever's happening at Blue Chip, you know, there, there could be some other initiative that's happening that, you know, they can pitch in and help out with. But of course, you know, if they're interested in meeting with clients. That's something we would want them to get exposure to. Yeah, for sure. And you talked a little bit about, you know, your prior roles, you know, mostly doing investment research. That's why you got your CFA. Uh, you know, what made the switch from, you know, more banking investment side to, you know, more financial advising, you know, client based side? Yeah, really good question. Um, you know, I just remember meeting Dan Robert. And like I said, I was I was always maybe a little more gu guarded about, um, you know, joining the uh, planning side because I knew I didn't really want to make cold calls. I kind of felt like that wasn't something like I really wanted to do. Yeah. Um, particularly at that point in my career with with a few different designations and and joining Blue Chip gave me the opportunity to, you know, step in and and provide, you know, more of a meaningful impact right off the bat. But yeah, at one point, you know, I was just, I had been, you know, let's call it back office or non-client facing for so long. I just had realized like some part of me was just not as fulfilled as I thought I would have been. Yeah. And I realized, hey, I, I really feel like, you know, meeting with people more often is is better for what I want to do long-term. And yeah. and that was kind of just, it just a switch one day, um, realizing what I thought was my dream job, maybe wasn't my dream job. And, and it really prompted me to, to, to look for something different or to, you know, to, to, to go to something different, which is blue chip. Yeah. And like, do you think the, the switch was tough? Cause I mean, that's a whole nother, you know, hurdle you have to jump over taking the CFP exam where you kind of like iffy about the switch. Cause you had to, you know, take a new, a new designation. You know, I, I would say, no, I, I, I actually had a ton of confidence where I, you know, in blue chip and where I was joining or with switch too. And, and I knew that this was something I would never regret. It was a jump. It was a little bit of a leap of faith, but yeah. I felt pretty confident that this was, this was the place. And um, yeah, it wasn't like an easy decision, but, but I just felt pretty confident in this being the right place for me. And if I was ever going to do this, if I was ever going to pursue this, this was the time and this was the place. Yeah, for sure. You, you know, you definitely want to see, see what the, what the deal is, you know, with, the client facing side. Cause you know, I think the you know, dealing with different clients is definitely, you know, just like a joy, you know, you want to talk to different people, deal with different clients, you know, try and help them as much as you can with their, you know, their money problems and issues. So yeah, I think that was definitely a good choice and it obviously worked out. Yeah, exactly. And you know, you'll start to see as you meet with more and more people, some things that come easy to you, which might be financial planning, budgeting, um, aren't always easy or things that were easy to people at a certain time in their life are more difficult with added responsibilities of work and family. And they look to delegate that. And oftentimes, you know, those are the best relationships when people delegate and you're able to, to really add meaningful value to them. So it's a, you know, everybody's a little bit different. Like I said, they all have varying degrees of interest in what we do and how, what we do for them. Um, but yeah, the, the, 
you know, a lot of those relationships can be really solid and you can feel like you're having a, a really nice impact on a family. Yeah, definitely. And do you guys have a, you know, a limit that or a requirement of, you know, money that each client has to have to join blue chip and, you know, have yourself as an advisor? Yeah. So, so it really depends. Um, it's a great question. We're a little bit, you know, gray in, in how we approach that. There's really no, there's really no black or white answer. I mean, you know, we, we, on our website, I think it's stated, you know, 500,000 investable assets. Um, yeah. That number can range kind of depending on the client circumstance. You know, ultimately we want to determine, is it a right fit? Yeah. Um, are we going to be able to add value? If we can't add value and it's a million dollar client, you know, they might, just might not be right for blue chip, but you know, if there's a client that's 250,000 and they're growing and they have a complex issue, perhaps, you know, they're dealing with restricted stock units, um, stock options, and we can add value to that person. That's somebody who we might take on that, that could be stated below the minimum. So it really all depends. There's no hard and fast rule, but, but one of the first parts of our process and, in you know, identifying is, is somebody going to become a client is determining fit. And that, that can mean a couple of different things and everybody's a little bit different there. Yeah. So do you have some, you know, big clients that want to, you know, join in, but they're just not really the right fit and you just have to let them go? Or do you, you know, try to make it work if they have a lot of, you know, assets? Yeah, it depends. Um, like I said, I mean, obviously if there's something where we really could not add value, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's tough. I mean, if, if somebody just wants to index and that's all they want, you know, perhaps blue chip might not be the right fit. Yeah. Now, if they're open to something different and understanding that, you know, our pro understanding our process, um, then, then that probably is more of a fit. So it can really range. I mean, truly there's so many, there's so many different circumstances that flew through my head of people who walked in, walked out, but at the end of the day, it's about determining fit and, and whether or not they can philosophically align with blue chip. And the good thing is, you know, we're not locking anybody into a commissional product. Everything we, we invest in is super liquid. So, you know, if it wasn't a fit and uh, people really jumped in, we felt like they jumped in with two feet um, and it wasn't a fit. It's not like anybody's caught stuck with anything that they can't get unload or get rid of. Yeah, exactly. And you talked a little bit about, you know, how you were graduating, you know, in 09 markets were, were very rough and it was, you know, not a good time to be looking for a job. What made, you know, you stick out in different interviews, you know, trying to find a job. Cause a lot of the people watching are, you know, Michigan state students aspiring to be a financial advisor and, you know, they might be worried, you know, what can I do to stick out and get a job? So what did you do to, to stick out? So, yeah. So the first job I got, um, I remember, I wanted this job so bad. I probably would have done it for free. Okay. So, so that was, that was the thing. Like I wanted this job. This was the role. This was an investment analyst role. I would have probably done this for free. I mean, I didn't have to do it for free, but I was willing to just do whatever I needed to do there to get that role. Um, I wasn't worried about how much I was getting paid. Uh, you know, the first year I probably still lived with my parents. I thought if I work hard, I'll demonstrate, you know, my value. And then after a year I can ask for an increase in salary. So I knew it was the right place. It was the right experience I wanted to get. I'm really thankful I did all this because, you know, I had mentors there that encouraged me to pursue my CFA, my CMT, which really I felt like launched my career and helped me get to the point I'm at today. Yeah. But yeah, at the end of the day, I mean, it, it, I would say show you care about an organization, show you're willing to do what you need to do to help the team. I mean, I don't care if that's, you know, delivering mail, you know, obviously that's, that's maybe an extreme example, but if that was, if you had to do that for 10 minutes a day, don't be above that. 
and uh, you know, get the experience that you want at the place you want, knowing that this might not be my forever home, but I know that it might be. And at the end of the day, I think I'm going to get the experience that I need to kind of carry me on through my career. Yeah, exactly. So ending it off, you know, what is, you know, some different advice that you'd give to, you know, different aspiring financial advisors, you know, specifically at Michigan State, because you've been through the whole, you know, program. So just what is some, some thoughts and words you can give aspiring financial advisors? Yeah, so, you know, one thing I think about, particularly coming out of college, you know, be patient. You know, I think that a lot of times, you know, you're going to have all this knowledge, you're going to be a high performer, you are going to want to do a lot of stuff. Um, you know, whether you're gonna have a ton of planning knowledge, um, there has to be some level of patience to kind of how you progress, just because you might be the greatest financial advisor in the world. And in some cases, you know, that client is going to look at you and say, oh, you're, you're 25 years old. Um, you know, you don't have enough gray hair to, to give me advice. Yeah. So that's a real element of this. Um, you know, I, I think, so just be patient, understand that you stick with it, you know, accumulate all those arrows in your quiver, have as much knowledge um, as you possibly can start to really, like I said, the psychological aspect of being a financial advisor probably can't be understated enough or uh, overstated enough. Sorry. You really want to like pay attention to people, um, ask other advisors why they made recommendations versus other recommendations, try to understand the thought process um, and, and, and learn to develop empathy. You know, I think I read a study not too long ago, maybe it was in the past month, but like empathy in demonstrating empathy uh, from it, from the advisor side of the table to the client is a huge um, factor in that client's enjoyment and probably, you know, ultimately what willingness to referral refer. So, yeah. you know, learn how to demonstrate empathy, you know, feel empathy, but demonstrate empathy um, even at a young age and, and try to really understand people, understand the complex decisions they face. And it's not just, I'm showing this financial plan and the Monte Carlo simulation says that there's 97% chance it's going to work. You're going to be fine. It's just a little deeper than that and try to like develop those connections. Yeah. You definitely want to, you know, develop connections with the client and, you know, make them feel safe and welcome because, you know, you, you're dealing with, with all their assets. Right. Cause I think that that can be one of the, one of the faults of our profession is, you know, when you try to get too scientific or too numbers based, yeah, that's, that's all right. But, you know, nowhere in the Monte Carlo simulation is there a 30% drop in two months and a global pandemic and people are wondering what the heck to do yeah. with their with their money, their, their dropping portfolio value. So, yeah, yeah that, that stuff's important, but there's also the behavioral and psychological side that you have to understand and you have to relate to people. You can't just say, oh, don't, don't worry about it. There's a 97% chance you're okay. You know, you want to be a little deeper than that. Yeah, exactly. You want to tell them you know, you're okay. Not, not, not a percentage. Yeah. Here's why here, you know, here would be other triggering points where we might take some different action, but, but reinforce and, and try to like appeal to um, not just the number side, but the behavioral side. Yeah, for sure. So that's all I have today, Matt. So if you have anything else, but that's all I got. No, perfect. I really, Hey, I really, really appreciate you having me on. Um, anytime I can, uh, talk to MSU students. Um, I'm happy to. So this is great. And uh, yeah, keep up the good work and, you know, get through tax season here and hopefully uh, things progress and, you know, we'll, we'll have another CFP here in a couple of years. Yeah, for sure. Perfect. Thank you. I really appreciate your time and, you know, you talking to us. If you enjoyed the discussion, please like and share the podcast on Apple and Spotify.
The Spartan Journal podcast is part of Michigan State University's Wealth Management Association, a student organization whose goal is to inspire the next generation of financial advisors. The Spartan Journal news team releases a newsletter every Monday morning comprised of financial literacy and the week's market updates. Feel free to follow us on social media at MSUWMA and check out our website at MSUWMA.com. Anything heard on either the MSUWMA or Spartan Journal podcasts is for educational purposes only and should not be considered as investment advice.